So as we pick up in verse 19, as we're making our way through Philippians, maybe you remember in, in the last study, Paul, um, we left Paul there. He's in prison in Rome. And as far as Paul knows at this point, his future is uncertain. And so he's writing with that bit of uncertainty. He still has to face a trial before the emperor. And he just honestly does not know what the outcome's going to be. As we read through, we see that he does uh, sense that he's going to be acquitted and be able to be back with them. But just in case things go differently, he wants them to know that there are at least two men that he has full confidence in their ability to continue the ministry among the Philippians that yet needs to take place. And those two men are the men that he speaks about here, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, remember, our theme for Philippians is the fellowship of the gospel. And we're talking about... um, us as the people of God rallying around the gospel and together working for the advance of the gospel. So these are two men that are deeply committed with Paul to the fellowship of the gospel. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at their lives. When we first began our study a few weeks back, um, you notice that Timothy is included in the introduction. Paul writes uh, and includes Timothy. And we talked a bit about Paul. We kind of took a biographical uh, bit of a sketch of his life. And I mentioned that we would come back to Timothy. So today is the day we're going to do that. We're going to come back and look a little bit at at Timothy, a little more detailed look at him. Epaphroditus, there's not, um, there's really no background for him because he's only mentioned here in Philippians these two times. But Timothy, Timothy is mentioned 24 times in the New Testament. And not only is he mentioned 24 times, but you might also know that there are two of Paul's letters that are actually directed to him. We refer to them as 1st and 2nd Timothy. So Paul meets Timothy when he comes into this area of... um, Derby and Lystra on one of his missionary journeys. So in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, this is, this is the story of Paul's meeting Timothy and then um, enlisting him to become part of his ministry team. So let me just read a few verses here from Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. You don't need to turn there. Um, so he came, Paul, to Lystra, to Derby and Lystra, And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters in Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek." And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So this is where Paul meets Timothy. 
And as we read there, Timothy is well spoken of by all of those in the Christian community. And so Paul is impressed with Timothy. Timothy is a much younger man. Uh, we know that from Paul's writing to Timothy. He even refers to the fact that he's young. He says on one occasion, uh, don't let anyone despise your youth. So he's a younger man, but he's, he's well spoken of by everyone. There's something about him that uh, is extraordinary. And Paul recognizes that. And so he invites Timothy to join him in his ministry. Now, if we were to keep reading in the 16th chapter of Acts, we would come to the story of the establishing of the church in Philippi. And so Timothy was there when Paul came to Philippi, preached the gospel uh, there down at, at the riverside, um, eventually because they cast the demon out of that, that one young fortune-telling girl. Uh, they were put in jail, him and Silas. And so the whole church experience there in Philippi and, and how it got started and everything, Timothy was part of that whole thing. And so now Paul is writing back to uh, the Philippians from his prison cell. And again, with the uncertainty about his own future, he's reminding them, though, about these other men. And Timothy is right there, the first one that he mentions. Now, in Paul's letters to the Corinthian church and to the Thessalonian church, he also speaks about Timothy. So let me read just a few passages. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He says, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. And then in the 16th chapter, he says, uh, concerning Timothy, if he comes to you, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. And then writing to the Thessalonians, he says to them in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, he says, I send Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. When Paul writes to Timothy himself, uh, he says to Timothy, he speaks about, his um, genuine faith. And he acknowledges, he says, Timothy, as every time I think about you, I just, I, I get emotional, is basically what Paul says. Um, because I think about your pure faith, your genuine faith. It dwelt first in your grandmother, her name was Lois, and it was also in your mother Eunice. And he said, and I sense that same genuine faith with you. And so Paul writes to the churches about Timothy. He writes to Timothy and tells him what he sees in his life. And then the final reference in the New Testament to Timothy is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23. And this is what it says. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free. So Paul is writing to, about Timothy to the Philippians now from jail at some point. We don't have any record of it in the New Testament, but Timothy also is taken into custody for his faith. But now he has been set free and the writer of Hebrews says, with whom I shall see you uh, if he comes shortly. So 
So this is the picture that we get of this young man, Timothy. Paul's um, protege. Paul is uh, the mentor of Timothy. And, and as far as Paul's concerned, and it, and it does seem to be the case, when Paul's ministry comes to a conclusion, he really passes the baton to Timothy. And the second letter of Paul to Timothy has been called by some Paul's swan song. It's his final word to the church, but it's a very specific word to Timothy. And he is essentially, like I said, he's, he's passing on his ministry to Timothy. Uh, Paul founded the church in the city of Ephesus. And early church historians tell us that Timothy was actually the pastor of that church for several years. And so Timothy was um, Paul's successor in that sense. Now, what is it about Timothy that Paul so admires? Well, we see that Timothy was unique in his devotion to Christ and the gospel. And Paul says that right here. Uh, notice when he says, I'm gonna, I trust to send Timothy to you, verse 19. He said, um, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. So Paul doesn't have anybody else like Timothy. Timothy is unique in this sense. Now, I, I think that Paul, what he really saw in Timothy was his himself. He saw his own dev devotion. He saw his own commitment to the faith. And, and so Paul says, I, I have no one like him. And, you know, when you're, when you're in the, the place of somebody like a Paul and you're thinking about the future, you're thinking about the future of the church, you know that your time is limited. You know, what you really want is you want somebody that you can have confidence in is going to carry on uh, what the Lord has done. I remember years ago when I was uh, leaving the church that I pastored for 13 years in Vista, and uh, it was a great church, wonderful experience in our lives. And when the, when the Lord was calling me to leave, I wanted to make sure that the right person stepped in. And so Rob Salvato had been my uh, youth pastor for some years. Rob had gone to Oregon, planted a church. And as I prayed about it, the Lord you know, just put Rob on my heart. And I remember Rob came back and he, um, we worked together for about six months side by side. And I could leave that church knowing that I was leaving it in great hands because he had the same heart. He had the same heart for the gospel, the same heart for Christ. He had the same heart for the people. And what a wonderful thing. That's how Paul feels about Timothy. And so, but the uniqueness with Timothy, as I said, is that, there, there's no one like him because he has a sincere concern. The word sincere here is also translated in other versions, genuine. So Timothy was a genuine guy. He was a real guy who really just simply had a heart for God and the things of God. But there's a little bit of a sad note here because Paul says... Um, not only is Timothy, um, you know, the only like-minded person that he has, he, but then he says, for all seek their own, not the things which belong to Christ. That, that's a sad thing. That's the contrast, though. 
Timothy has his priorities on Christ. So many others, their priority revolves around themselves. And then he goes on in verse 22 and he says, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Boy, I'll tell you, as a father, I can, I can just, um, every time I read that, I think about the joy of being able to serve the Lord um, with sons. And, you know, I have two sons and I have uh, two son-in-laws and I have other guys who look at me as a father in the faith and to serve along with them. I have one friend who always, he, he always calls me Papa and I'm like, I'm not that old. Don't call me that, you know, come on. Because <laughs> every time he says that, I just feel like, you know, uh, man, I'm getting old. But it's, it's very endearing and it's, and it's precious. And I count, it, I count it a great honor. But that's what, um, that's what was happening here with Paul and Timothy. Now, Epaphroditus is different, like I said, because we don't really know anything more about him. He's mentioned here in Philippians and he is actually from Philippi. He's the messenger that the church sent to help Paul in bringing to him the things that he needed during his times of difficulty. But then Paul speaks of him and he says some very beautiful things as well. He said, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger. So he's basically sending him back. He's, he's their messenger, the one who ministered to my need since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I send him the more eagerly that when you see him you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men Timothy and Epaphroditus, in esteem because for the work of Christ, he came close to death. Here's the key, not regarding his own life. So this is Epaphroditus. He's a man, and here's where he stands out to Paul. He's a man who's willing to risk his own life for the gospel. And in, in uh, the mind of Epaphroditus, the gospel, Christ, the mission, the apostle, they are more important than even his own well-being. And that's obviously a very, very deep and serious and a commendable uh, commitment. Now, Paul says about Epaphroditus, he says three things. He said, uh, he's my brother. So speaking of that mutual affection, uh, in Christ that they shared. He's my fellow worker. So he's alongside of Paul in the ministry of the gospel. And then he says, he's also my fellow soldier. You know, every now and again, Paul just brings us back to that perspective that we are in a war. We're in a battle. And we, we can't forget that. You know, yesterday, Daryl Strawberry spoke here, and uh, Daryl began his message, 
And he, he started the message and then he repeated it a few times throughout the, the time. Um, and he was just talking about, men, this is not a game. Now, here's a guy who, you know, is a professional baseball player. Uh, but he was making a contrast. This is not a game. The Christian life is not a game. No, it, this is dead serious. This is life and death. This is a fight to the finish. This is a battle. And that's true. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that. No, we are in a war. And if you're in a war, Paul would write to Timothy also, and he would remind Timothy that um, Timothy, no one engaged in a, in a battle um, entangles themselves in the affairs of this life. Because your objective as a soldier is to please the one who enlisted you. And Paul's using that terminology to say to, to Timothy and to others, hey, let's not forget, we're, we're not civilians. This is not peacetime. We're soldiers, and this is a war, and we're in the midst of it. So he speaks of Epaphroditus as his fellow soldier. But as we look at these two, what we see in them is that they are men who prioritize the gospel. And that's really the, the essence of what we want to talk about here today, prioritizing the gospel. We all know about what it is to have priorities. We all probably struggle at times with having the right priorities. Uh, yesterday, we had a speaker named Drew Dick. Uh, Drew's written a book called Your Future Self Will Thank You. And it's a book that's talking about um, self-control. It's talking about discipline. It's talking about all these things that if we, if we do these things, it's just, it's going to make for not only a better life just in a general sense, but of course, it's going to make a huge um, difference in our effectiveness for the gospel. And it was a great teaching that he did. And um, we, we handed out the book because we thought it was such an important thing to get into the hands of people. But, you know, he was talking about his own uh, struggles with some of these things and talking about uh, prioritizing his life. And I think that all of us, on a fairly regular basis, we, we need to just pause and look at our lives and just say, okay, wait, where are my priorities? Because it's easy to get our priorities misplaced. Now, I would imagine that most people in the room are believers, followers of Jesus, Christians. And so if, if I were to say, um, hey, what, you know, list your top five priorities in life, from, you know, in, in the order of number one, write down. Now, I, I would, hopefully, <laughs> I'm right on this. Uh, everyone would say, well, of course, Jesus is in my top five priority, uh, the top five of my priority list. But the question is not, is he in the top five or 10? The question is, where is he at in the priority list? Now, for Timothy and Epaphroditus, Jesus was the top of the list. The gospel was the top of the list. And it shouldn't really be any different today. You know, it's funny because 
when I, when I read what Paul says about um, the difference between Timothy and others, when he says, I, I have no one uh, like-minded like Timothy who will genuinely care, for everyone seeks their own things. Now, sometimes we almost think that that's just what happens today because everybody's so busy and life's so hectic and we have all of these things to distract us. But guess what? That happened 2,000 years ago. We, we sometimes almost tend to let ourselves off the hook because, well, gosh, you know, life today is just so crazy. I mean, back then, things were so much slower and they didn't have all of this stuff that they had to be involved with and they weren't bombarded by all of these things. Well, whatever was going on back then, there were still plenty of people that did not have Christ as their priority. They had other things. They were seeking other things. So it's really not so much due to the time in history that we live or to the cultural environment that we live in. It's really more a matter of the heart. If their hearts could be led astray back then, then of course ours can be today as well. But as we think about the prioritizing of the gospel, what does that look like? And this is today, I want us to really be honest with ourselves. That, that's, that's where everything starts, taking an honest look at ourselves. And as you would look at yourself, as I would look at myself, what, is, what does that mean? As we look at uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, we see what it looked like for them. Timothy cared most for the things of Christ. That was the top of his priority list. Epaphroditus cared more about the things of Christ than he did his own life. So that's what it looked like for them. But what does it look like for us? So if, we, if today, if we're to say, um, okay, yeah, here, here are my priorities. Where would Jesus land on the priority list? Let's just say you're going to do the five, top five or top ten things. Where, where does Jesus land on that? And the truth is this. If he lands anywhere other than at the top, and again, um, nobody's watching. It's not like we're actually writing this down. This is just in your heart, right? But God knows. God knows all of our hearts. So this is a question that we have to really ask ourselves because unless Jesus is the priority, our lives are never going to be what God intends them to be, nor are they ever going to be what we hope they will be. You see, people get their priorities out of whack because they think that these things need to be the priority because if I can just get these things covered, then everything else is going to be great. But that's a delusion. It's not accurate. And once again, I refer back to our guest yesterday, Daryl Strawberry. You know, here's a guy, and he was talking about this yesterday, so it's fresh on my mind. He's talking about his... Um, his career as a professional baseball player. And, you know, Daryl Strawberry wasn't just any old baseball player. I mean, he was like, um, you know, he was one of the best players of all time. And so he gained this unbelievable uh, status in the culture. He's a cultural icon. He's a sports icon. He's a home run hitter. He's a, um, you know, he, he's, he's, wealthy and he's famous and he's all those things. And he's talking about that yesterday. And he, he was talking about how none of that 
ever fulfilled the deepest longing of his heart. And that's how he ended up becoming a drug addict. That's how he ended up being in trouble with the law. Uh, you know, he ended up on all of those things because he's on this pursuit thinking that he's going to find the real meaning of life and the joy of life and the thrill of life. And he says, you know, actually he found himself in a drug house, $3 million in debt. And at that point, there were two, uh, two messages coming to him. One message was, hey, you did it before, you can do it again, man. Just get yourself together. You can earn another 50 million. You can do this and you can do that. And that was one message. And the other message over here was, you need to follow Christ. You need to come to the Lord. And, and he looks at this one side and he says, well, I've already been there. <laughs> I've already made the millions. I've already been at the top of the pack. And, and so he just knew enough to know that going back there is not the answer. So it was then that he gave his life to Jesus. And, you know, as he stood here yesterday calling men to come to Christ, I sat there watching and I thought, man, our God is a God of redemption. He took this life that was so broken and beaten down and he just completely turned it around and, you know, talking, just having personal conversations with Daryl, it's obvious. He expressed it, but it's obvious by his demeanor. He's the happiest he's ever been in his whole life. He's doing the greatest thing he's ever done in his whole life. For him, being on this platform, seeing guys come down and receive Christ is better than hitting 100 home runs. I mean, for him, like, this is, this is it. But what's happened to him? Well, he got his priorities in order. And now Jesus is the priority. And, you know, we were talking about our age, and he's a little bit younger than I am. But um, we were just talking about, man, just the, the rest of our lives, we're able to just keep going and, and serving Christ and seeing what God wants to do. So, again, coming back to ourselves, what does it look like for us to prioritize our lives around Christ and the gospel. What do we need to do to see that happen? And this is something that only you know. Maybe people around you know too, and they can, maybe they've even been saying things to you about it. And maybe God's been even convicting you about it. But really, in the end, you know what it is. You know what it's going to take. But here's what I want to say to you. There's no sacrifice that's too great for Christ in the gospel. Epaphroditus felt that way. He, even his own life, if, if, if he lost his own life in the process, for him, it was worth it because of Christ in the gospel. And the same thing was true of Timothy. And of course, the same thing was true of Paul. You know, there were many occasions where Paul was going into a situation that was dangerous, that was deadly. And there were times when people tried to prevent Paul from going into those deadly situations. And, and he would just say, look, my life, I do not count my life dear to myself. Uh, what I want to do with my life is I want to finish the, the course. I want to cross the finish line in the race that Christ has set for me. And many, many people all throughout history have done the same thing. And many are doing it today. But 
I can't have much to do with the many. I've got to deal with my own life. So what does it mean? What do we need to do? What are the priorities that have come in and taken the place of the priority of Christ and the gospel in your life? What's up there? What are you, what are you living for? What are you thinking in the end is going to be the thing that, you know, when you, when you finally master that or when you really get hold of that, you know, that's going to bring you to the place that you, you're going to be satisfied then. You're going to be fulfilled. You're going to feel like, man, I've, I've attained my purpose in life. And of course, there are so many things that, that people pursue with that very thought in mind. If I can just be seen as this person, and it's all about a certain image, and if I can project this image, and if this is what people think when they see me, man, that is going to be, uh, then I'm going to be fulfilled. But people do that all the time, and they're not fulfilled. Or sometimes it's a thing. It's a, it's a material object or objects, or uh, you know, if I could just get that object, which is a status symbol, and I can, you know, be seen driving that kind of car, or living in that neighborhood, or being able to say, I make this amount of money, or I know these people. I mean, these are all the things that, that drive human beings, right? These are all the things that become the priorities in our life. And it can happen to Christians as well. I cannot tell you how many Christians I know who at one time I could see that Jesus was a priority in their life. It was pretty obvious by their lifestyle. It was obvious by what they did, what they were passionate about, things that they were engaging in, their ambitions and all that. It was obvious Jesus was the priority in their life. I look at them today. It is equally obvious today that Jesus is not the priority in their life. Oh, they're still Christians. I don't doubt their salvation. But I do look at them and think, wow, what happened? What are, what are you doing? Why are you spending all this time and energy and effort on this at this stage of the game? You know, I especially am perplexed when I think of people that are even my own age. I think, wow, you know, the clock is ticking. Time is running out. <laughs> uh, we do not want to be... Uh, you know, I don't want to be reliving my youth or trying to do something like that at this point. Well, it's way beyond that. I, I can't do it. You know, some people deceive themselves into thinking they can, but you can't. But why even do it? Why even think to do it? When there's so much more, Christ, the gospel, the kingdom, serving the Lord. Well, you know, there's just nothing like it. It's the most amazing thing in the world. But again, what will it look like for us to prioritize our lives around the gospel? What do we need to do to see that happen? Well, we got to get our priorities right. And some things just need to be taken down from that top spot and just put in the place where they ought to be. But Jesus needs to be put back in that place again. 
Now, here's, here's another question, but coming from a different angle. What does a gospel-prioritized life look like? Well, let me just say this. It looks really good. It looks really good. Because the things, here's the irony in all this. The things that we strive for that end up resulting in our priorities getting all out of whack, the things that we think we're going to get by doing that, and we think, I've got to have my priorities like this if I'm going to get this, those very things, the things that are the most meaningful truly, the things that are the most um, wonderful experientially and all that, those things actually do happen when Christ becomes a priority. That's, that's the amazing thing. You know, a young guy stopped me yesterday and he said, um, he said, hey, I, I listened to you on the radio. And he goes, you know, I'm not married. He said, but I really, I really like the way you talk about your wife. I really appreciate that. And, you know, maybe I'll be married someday. And I, I just, I like the way you, you know, you say things publicly about her and the way you treat her and all that. And, and I said, you know what? <laughs> I said, my, I'm going to be married 40 years in a few months. And I said, my wife's like the best thing I got going. So, man, I can't help but talking good about her. <laughs> She's great. She's amazing. But, but here's the thing. Tell her I said that. <laughs> now she knows. She's in the other room listening. Um, but here's the thing. So what, what are people like? Let's just be honest. When a person has an affair, what, what are they doing? What are they thinking? Well, they're thinking like, well, you know, I've lost something. There's, there's something that's, you know, if I could just get this back. Or, and so they're, they're looking for something that they think is going to come to them through that. I'm going to renew my youth or I'm going to have a refreshed romance or whatever it's going to be. But they're looking at something that they think they're going to get from it. And they not only do not get that, they get the opposite of that. But if you just keep your priority where it should be on Jesus, then you get all the good stuff. And in the end, you especially get all the good stuff because you get the kingdom. But, you know, just living for the Lord today. So what does it look like to prioritize our lives around the gospel? It looks really good. It looks better than you could ever make for yourself. You know, that's, that's the amazing thing. You know, the Lord calls us to himself. He calls us into, you know, deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me. He calls us to live a sacrificial life. And on the surface, we're thinking, oh my gosh, this all just sounds so tough. And well, what about me? And what am I going to get out of it? But you know what? When you, like Jesus said it this way, when you lose your life, you actually find it. When you die to yourself, then you actually begin to really live. That's the paradox of it all. See, people hold on and think, but, but if I give that up, then what about me? Well, guess what? It's only when you give it up that you get what God has in store because you cannot improve on the life that God has planned for you. 
You can't improve on it. You can't make it better. And people try to do that all the time. All the time. People think, well, you know, they hear God's got a plan for their lives, and they go, yeah, that, that's great. Okay, thank you. Uh, but I got a plan too. You should see my plan. Yeah, well, we can tell you already what your plan's going to end up looking like. So don't believe that. Getting the priorities right, what it, what it results in is fruitfulness in all spheres of life. Timothy Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, is, you know, he labors to, he's, he's near to death. He doesn't care because he's serving Christ. And he knows even if he dies, it's, it's all right. And so with Timothy, there's a great psalm, Psalm 128, that kind of just describes, I think, in a, in a beautiful way, what the end result is of a life that is prioritized around the gospel. It says this, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be, your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. I, I, every time I read that 128th Psalm, I just think this is such a beautiful picture. Flourishing. That's what God has for us. But we only flourish if our priorities are right. And if Christ is the priority, he then brings everything else into its proper place and that results in flourishing for us. And so today, as we close, I want to, um, of course, I want to extend a gospel invitation to anyone with us today that maybe has not yet received Christ. And you, you've got, uh, Jesus isn't in, even anywhere on your priority list. But you realize suddenly, like, that's the problem. I've got to make Jesus a priority in my life. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and, and you would like to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. But I also, I want to take this opportunity today to extend an invitation to believers who have got their priorities out of whack. You're a believer. You know that Christ is your Lord and Savior. You've received him. You've walked with him. You've served him. But right now today, you would have to say, my priorities are not what they used to be. I don't know what's happened. I, I got caught up in this. I'm distracted by that. And, you know, because God is so good and his mercies are new every morning, um, I, I just feel like he just wants to extend a, an invitation to people today to just come and get your priorities right. Just get a, a readjustment by the Lord. And to know that as you come to him, this is a beautiful thing about the Lord. You know, the Lord convicts us. He, he seeks, you know, through different means to turn us back and to get us you know, in that place we need to be. But he doesn't berate us. He, he's, he's not going to condemn you. He's just saying, come back and make me the priority of your life. Let's, 
let's get back on track and let's go forward into the future with Jesus and the gospel as the priority. That's the important thing. So Father, as we are here this morning, Lord, you know each of us, you know what our priorities are and you know what they need to be. So Lord, for, for anyone who has the need of, of adjusting their priorities today, I pray that you would speak to them, Lord, about that need, that they would understand that that's exactly what they need to do today. And Lord, I pray that they would know that there's just plenty of mercy waiting. And you're ready, Lord, to restore and to lead into the future and to bless. Lord, I also would pray for anyone that is with us today that maybe has never put their faith and trust in Jesus fully. I pray that you would draw them to yourself today as well.